everybody. It is December 12th. Christmas is just around the corner like the like the Terminator yeah. coming for us. Well, the thing that I really love about this time of the year, Eli, is I love how dark it is. And I'm going to be very sad once the 21st hits and it starts getting less dark. No, I hate it. I hate <laughs> everything about the, the winter season. I picked the wrong part of the world to be born into, yeah. I think. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're back. EDH Takes. Podcasts of the year. Yeah, and uh, I'm Elijah Samuelson. And I'm Spencer Cook. And yeah, like I said, it's uh, we're coming up on the Christmas season. Uh, have you done any Christmas shopping, Spencer? You know, you put me on the spot here, Eli. I have not done any Christmas shopping. I'm a bad person. That is me every single year, except this year. I w- just happened to be downtown a couple weeks ago, and it was Small Business Saturday, and I was like, I'm gonna yeah, go to some shops. I want to. I want to support some small businesses. Yeah, I'll, I'll knock a couple names off my list, and I got a big ass list. Uh, it's it sucks having so many friends. <laughs> <laughs> wow, sick brags, bro. <laughs> no, but the but the point here is that the Christmas season is expensive, and when you spend a lot of money on Christmas gifts, can't afford as many magic cards. So today we're gonna be talking about uh, the the price of magic cards the cost of magic cards and and the surrounding uh, conversation with that sort of stuff yeah yeah we broke it down into a couple couple things we want to talk about involving the the cost of magic cards which i think most people are of the opinion it is an ever increasing cost especially for commander players i think that is uh very fair to say that that is the the general outlook right and and i agree with it i mean like i'm not going to disagree that it's an expensive game like that's obvious right yeah no, no argument there, but you know we're we're there. It doesn't have to always be as expensive as some people make it out to be. Um, and I think we're going to talk about you know some some tips to maybe save some money, um, but also get into you know how accessible the format is, as well as kind of have a little little pseudo debate on proxies. Yeah, and a lot of this uh, is just stemming from our own personal experiences with the cost of magic. Which might be very different than the majority of people, or it might skew uh, a certain way. And uh, so, if we're uh, wildly off base on something, absolutely comment about it and uh, let give us your know. perspective. Yeah, the thing the thing with magic, though, that I think is so hard is that magic players, um, or ma- sorry, magic the game, kind of can appeal to people with a lot of, from a lot of different walks of life and like socio socioeconomic backgrounds so for example you've got people recently in the commander scene who are you know very successful football players or musicians who have access to pretty much any card they want right and that contrasts that with people who maybe are you know they they're struggling a little more or maybe they just don't have the money to spend on the magic hobby and you know they're they only have access to cheap stuff or maybe Mm -hmm. not even cards at all and there's a lot to unpack there, so we'll probably get into that a little later. Yeah, huge disparity in the uh, situations of Magic players and, and what appeals to certain people. Yep. But yeah, our first thing we wanted to talk about is, uh, it's a kind of a dead horse topic, I think, that uh, that people talk about a lot lately, is the idea of product overload and more and more Magic, and specifically Commander products, being put out into the market. Yeah, and we've talked about this already on the podcast this year, but, uh, you know, it seems like every time a set comes out, there is either a commander, a set of commander decks that come out with it, or, you know, even recently they've been printing, um, 
in the set boosters for the set, not the draft boosters, they've been printing um, cards that are not legal and standard and uh, are only in the set boosters. So pretty much direct to commander cards. I know, I think they might be legal in some other formats, but they're they're essentially direct to commander cards. I think that's the intent. I, don't, I think that's fair. Yeah, and, and luckily, with maybe small exception, I don't believe any of those set booster cards are what people might consider to be big staples. They're not, and yeah, they're not prohibitively expensive, I think, for the most part. I know what they released that cycle of, um, that cycle of spells where they cost, they have flashback and they cost less for your, uh, your commander's cost. Yep. I think those were in a set booster product, right? Yep, that was the Midnight Hunt set boosters. Yeah, and I think those cards are all like a dollar each. And they're not, I mean, they're not, they're okay maybe, but they're not like, uh, you know, cards that you have to get for your commander decks. I remember we did a booster draft, or a, a sealed actually, with Midnight Hunt and our friend accidentally picked up set boosters instead of draft boosters yeah and and i uh in my sealed pool i had one of my rares was visions of duplicity i think it is which says um exchange control of two target creatures you don't control so in a 1v1 sealed format it does actually nothing and i think a friend of ours uh thomas had a contagion engine which was a funny card in a draft format well, you know, you also got Animate Dead, so... It, I, I did have it, Animate Dead, so... I think it evened out. <laughs> I forgot that I had that. Yeah, that was awesome. Your deck was brutal, but... Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so so that's a, that's a new thing that... I, I think people were pretty negative on, on that idea, the set booster-specific commander cards. I, I don't know if I like it too much. I mean, I'm not going to hear go out here and say, like, I'm wholly against it, but if we're talking about it from a perspective of product product fatigue, product overload, I definitely think um, it contributes to that. I, th- I think I think everyone would agree with that. Yeah, and now we also have the commander decks, uh, two with every standard set, I believe. Yeah, and I think, what is it, they, um, I, I, not to get into a conversation about universes beyond it all, but they're, I think they're, they're releasing commander decks for those that I think might be independent, excuse me, independent of uh, the sets. I'm not sure about that. I think, what, like the Warhammer decks, right? My understanding is that the commander product of next year will be Warhammer related. So, like, the main commander product, like the four or five decks or whatever? Okay. Well, even if that's not the case, I know they just released a... They just announced a Secret Lair commander deck. So, although those are not new cards, so maybe it's not really the idea of product fatigue, it is that kind of... It's got that illusion of more, more products coming out for you to buy. Which I think can put some mental strain on people. Yeah, the the main point I wanted to talk about with product overload was something I used to do with every new magic set. You look at the the cards, especially the cards in your particular color combinations you like to play. Or your decks or whatever. White cards for me. Yeah. And and I always want my decks to keep getting better and better. I think that's a very common thing it's uh people people want to make improvements right yeah you want to keep getting stronger and you feel like there might be a bit of an arms race or power creep and so every new set you want to find the new hot powerful card Mm -hmm. and so i would pick up a certain amount of singles every set and try and upgrade my decks and i it got to a point where i would buy a single put it in a deck and then the next set would come out, and there would be a new stronger card, and I might take out that last one I put in, 
Because a lot of the cards in the deck are just so strong that they're not going to be replaced. You got the history of magic behind you. You're going to have good cards, right? Yeah, and it's it's rare that stuff is better than, say, a, a land tax or a sun titan. Of course. But I, I know you've you've talked to me before, Eli, about how you've replaced these cards maybe without even playing them before. Because, the, you know, you yeah. spend two months until the next set comes I mean, spoiler season sometimes comes like a couple weeks after a set comes out on occasion. Or maybe not spoiler season, but there's, like, leaks and stuff like that. Yeah. Or sometimes it's also kind of a an eyes-bigger-than-your-stomach thing, where you see a lot of cool new cards coming out, and you think, oh, I need to have these, this looks like it'll be a really good card. You pick up a bunch of it thinking, well, I'm going to put this in just about every deck I have. Yeah. And then you bring the cards home, and you have to make the cut, and you realize, oh, this card is good. It's not better than anything in my deck right well, now. Well, and yet, another problem that I think players can get suckered into sort of thing is like um cards that are very expensive like for a good example recently has been the card goldspan dragon which is a now don't get me wrong very good card and i imagine oh, yeah. it's very i have never played it in commander but i imagine it to be very i imagine it to be a good card like i don't i have no doubts about that in my mind but it's you know i think it's like a 40 dollar card or something along those lines 30 maybe um, because it's very good and standard and stuff like that. And, you know, it's it's very um, tempting to be like, okay, this is the new hotness, let me just pick it up, right? Because the new set comes out. But it, it's hard to sustain that every time there's a good card that comes out in a set. And with cards like Goldspan Dragon, that's a card that, to my recollection, has always been at least double digits expensive. Yeah. And I think there was a point when, when it came out, I was thinking, wow, this card seems really absurd in my Feather deck. I should pick it up, but it's like 20 bucks right now. Should I get it? Should I wait? Usually you'd think you should wait because standard cards that are valuable tend to decrease in price at a point. Yeah. But Goldspan Dragon, like you said, I think it's uh, well above $20 now. Yeah. So you might think the next time that happens, well, I should pick it up while it is the $20. Yeah. Like, say, uh, Rogavon. Oh, another example, Solitude is like 40 or $50 now. Yeah, I got that for, I think, uh, traded in a card and got it for like $15, $20 trade credit. Yeah, I got one copy I opened. I, if I didn't open one, I probably would have bought one for, I think it was around $10 or so when it came out, um, or 7 to $8, something like that. It's a great card, but um, it's hard to hard to keep up. Because you never know how much a card's going to be in, in a month, right? Like, you can make educated guesses, and I know every player loves to have their you know like people you know like the idea of specking on cards and stuff like that but you can't really know for sure so and it and it's tempting to just kind of go on a limb for whatever cards you want but like that's not sustainable to do that on every card yeah with magic pricing you can make very educated guesses and there are some people who are really good at it and who who follow like the other formats well enough to understand a lot of these things or like rotation or uh market volume yeah Stuff like that. Uh, most people aren't that. Well, there's a concept in um, like financial investments, like stocks and stuff. There's a concept of uh, you know you ask some you ask an investor, you know, oh, what should I invest in? And then they'll tell you, well, if I knew that, I'd be a millionaire, right? Like, what's going to go up? If I knew that, I'd be a billionaire. So it's really hard to know. You know, even people that know, they don't, they don't, they're not, they don't have enough confidence that they. You know, that they could, like, invest all their money into it. Otherwise, they'd do it and they'd make money, right? Right. So, I don't know. Well, what do you say we uh, move on um, to another kind of hot-button topic? Because this is something that I've, I've seen a lot of players talking about. It's 
is EDH accessible? Because, you know, there's, I mean, there's a fair argument to be had because from one lens, you can look at the price of like, even just you and I, we have commander decks that are several hundreds of dollars. And I think most players have commander decks that are several hundreds of dollars. I mean, I, I say this a lot. Uh, I have a commander deck worth more than my car. Now that is with the, uh, the caveat, the caveat that, that, that my car is a piece of shit. Yeah. But that's, it's interesting. But from another lens, if you want to view it from the lens of commander being affordable, you can make very playable decks and players do like budget deck series where like they make decks for twenty five fifty dollars, and I mean fifty dollars isn't nothing anything to sneeze at, but like it is more much more approachable, right? Yeah, Commander, as far as uh, Eternal formats, I feel like it has as far as what you could say is a functioning like viable deck. Obviously, you can make a deck that's all basic lands or something like like modern and back, but like, making like a decent deck the 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 power level of a deck to the the price range of the deck i think it has the widest disparity in that like you can make mm. a really good deck for way cheaper than in say like a good modern deck so you're saying yeah like like like, like let's think of like traditionally like the cheap modern deck you would buy would be like burn or something right and burn was still like several hundred dollars to right. buy whereas you could pr- i mean I, I don't have a good example in my mind right now but i'm 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 confident I, you could make a powerful commander deck for less than a hundred dollars well because there are commanders that are very niche and build around like like say a classic feather build is going to use a lot of cards that most people just don't have any use for Sure, like combat tricks and like like shelter stuff like that yeah and those cards are never going to be expensive yeah they're mostly commons there are a lot of draft shaft and non-playables yeah you put like young pyromancer in there and 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 path to exile and those cards total probably like five bucks or something right so you can have a really good highly synergistic deck yeah built out of cards that are individually very inexpensive well and i think it we would be amiss to talk about the accessibility of the format and not mention pre-cons right because and i don't want to like beat a dead horse because i feel like we repeat ourselves a lot in a lot of episodes but you know pre i think pre-cons have been pretty good as of late and maybe a pre-con isn't powerful enough to sit at every commander table but I mean, it's a good. I think it's a good starting point. Well, I, I think you're you can't get more financially efficient as far as making a commander deck from scratch, yeah. Than buying a precon. Like, let's say you have no cards and you just want to have a and like you want to build a deck. The like, if you price out all of the cards of a of a precon commander deck, um, it's like eighty bucks or a hundred bucks or something, and like. It's not really valuable for like someone with a bunch of cards to buy that because like you can't you can't really like price like piece out and sell all these like fifty cent cards. Yeah, when we were writing this, I, I had a thought like, given say you can get free access to basic lands because you can get free lands from a local anywhere. game store anywhere. Yeah, they'll just give them out. A friend will give them to you if you want them. But I was thinking, what is the price point per card at which you can build a commander deck for less than fifty dollars? Like, around the price of a precon. In, and I just don't think you can do that. Well, the problem is, the, the, the like, let's say you have, like, you know, 40 lands or 35 lands or whatever, you know. So you have, like, 60 cards. That means to build a deck for less than 50 bucks, every card needs to be, what, like, 80 cents or something like that? I think it's average less than 50 cents or something. Or, like, yeah, less than 80 cents or... Something like that. And, I mean, like... The pro like and and there's a lot of cards that are less than that, but the problem is for every 
you know, 40 cent card or something, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to put a signet in there. And you're like, it's a dollar fifty. Like, oh, that's fine. But that, like, means that, like, every 40 cent card is, like, weighted up a little bit. Because, like, when you put in one $3 card, it, it makes it very hard to... You, 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 you very easily creep over the $50 mark, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and again, this thought experiment is assuming it's completely from scratch and you don't have an established collection or any... Or staples or whatever, yeah. Yeah, you don't have any cards to work with or trade. Like, because, you know, you, you're going to make a green deck. Pretty pretty common that there's a Cultivate of Kodama's Reach. And if you're an established player, you might have an extra copy of one or two of those, right? And those are like a buck right now. Yeah, so... The, the cons the idea is it's kind of hard to make commander decks for less than 50 bucks unless you're like really scraping the bottom of the barrel and obviously i know there are certain channels that will uh talk about budget decks and very uh mm-hmm. very cheap decks they'll be like whole commander deck 20 bucks and I, I i can't i don't know i'd like to be proven wrong i i know that those those could be functioning decks and they they could play and they can hang Maybe some of them are better than really bad precons, but it's just I, I it's really and and the another thing is like a lot of those decks people will make like you'll look a month, two months, one year later and they're like forty five dollars, sixty five dollars because the cards the prices go up. fluctuate yeah. so much and and when you have a deck that's like so like uh, it's only got like twenty five cent cards to make it under twenty five dollars or under twenty dollars or something. If the cards overall just fluctuate twenty cents each, like that's doubling the price of the deck. I think the classic example of that is, and next up we have Wayfarer's Bobble. <laughs> no, it's one great twenty cent card, and now I think it's over a dollar, two dollars, something like that. I don't know what it is. I off think there, yeah, I think it's gone down to around a dollar now, but I think there was a point where it was around five dollars. I remember this because I was uh, sorting my Magic collection, and I was like making a section for like five dollar and up cards or whatever, two dollars. Around that, right? And I was like, Wayfarer's Bobble's going in my $5 pile? That is crazy. And like you said, Eli, now it, I'm pretty sure you're right. It's like a dollar or two right now. But it was, I think it was $5 at one point. Yeah, they hit it with a reprint in mm. one of the D&D precons, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Or a couple of them. What do you, do you want to have a quick conversation about um, reprints? Do you want to talk about that for a second? Oh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's a big talking point in Magic is that wizards they they do a terrible job at doing reprints well, but one thing i saw uh on on twitter just uh today was someone was someone said something along the lines of wizards is doing exactly what they want to be doing with reprints and that's like reprinting just enough so that they can keep making money and stuff like that and i'm not i'm not sure how i feel about that sort of thing because i i mean i don't know if it's I don't know how I feel. Like, do you think if Wizards, like, just reprint everything to no value, people would be happy? Well, this is a big debate in Magic, is the accessibility of the game versus the... Collector's The collector's value value of game pieces. The most, I think, say, like, the Professor is very strongly in the camp of, if it was up to him, most Magic cards would be so cheap that pretty much everyone can afford it. I, I don't think he's of the opinion that he wants every card to be, like close to free but i think the professor is someone who is who is like if they reprint a card and it devalues my collection i'm happy with that right and yeah some he's okay with happy that. with that it's, yeah. it's a it's a debate and i don't know if there's a good answer for it i mean there's probably a happy medium um i'm not entirely sure where that lies though honestly yeah because i think there are people myself included that 
I there are definitely cards that I can't afford and I would like to, but I also think it's pretty cool that I have really cool old collectible game pieces, mm-hmm. and uh, they they are valuable. Like I have an old uh, kind of beat up but white border uh, Wheel of Fortune. And, I have a plateau, but and and it really sucks. Like because I mean, as new players or even as like I'm I'm not a new player. I don't have those cards. I'd like to be able to have those cards and play those cards, but I don't know if I if I want to get there by, you know, devaluing everyone else's cards, right? So um I think maybe that would be a good way to kind of transition us into the proxy conversation because that's a way that yeah. a lot of people have been, you know, a, lot, a way that like people try to solve the issue of like these very expensive um inaccessible cards, but like they seem like they're like very good in commander or something like that. Yeah, I was gonna say. So my my valuable cards and and this is sort of a this is sometimes a thing with reprints is a reprint does not always necessarily devalue the original printings of a card. Mm-hmm. You can have like like say like an alpha card is always going to be worth that more is a thing to say than yeah. a reprinted yeah. version. That, I don't know, people made arguments about, like, uh, the reserve list and stuff. It was like, oh, they'll retain value because, you know, it's the original copy or whatever, right? And there's arguments back and forth on that. Like, if they reprinted Wheel of Fortune in, like, a, a blackboard or, like, a different art or something. Like, I think they did reprint it as a Judge promo. Um, I don't, like, that version doesn't necessarily devalue my version. I think it probably would go down, though. Like, I don't think, I think your right, version yeah. would go down. But not... Not to the same price as the new one, right? Yeah, I think, and and maybe I've got this wrong, but I I think it it devalues it to people wanting the card to oh, use it as yes. a game piece. Yes, but, but not to people. The collector to, value is still there, right? Yeah. So in that sense, like it changes. So it doesn't devalue the card; it just changes the supply demand thing. Like somebody might be willing to spend three hundred dollars on a Wheel of Fortune just to play it in their deck. Yeah. And if that's the case, then, you know, okay, okay, I, I see where you're coming from. Okay, good, good, good. Um, okay, so the proxy debate, Eli. So this is a, a thing we haven't done on the podcast before, but Eli and I are going to try to uh, hold two different positions here and, and kind of argue back and forth a little bit. I'm going to try and, what, what's the phrase, steel man? Yeah, so to be clear, uh, I'm going to be taking the position of um, I am against the concept of uh opening the proxy floodgates like they're just game pieces kind of thing and eli is going to be taking the position of um proxies you know are 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 getting rid of like uh gatekeeping and just you know they're 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 golden you know like like proxy commander decks fine sort of thing yeah they're they're good for allowing people to play the game how they want to play yeah um and so why don't we just start off, Eli? Do you want to? Do you want to maybe give your well, and, and to, to clarify your position? Yeah. You're fine with proxies if you own one of the card, right? That that yeah. That's so. I don't think it's really fair to. I mean, it, I mean, some people just don't like proxies or whatever. But I don't think I'm going to represent that position here. I think I'm going to represent the position of. I'm going to represent my actual position, which is I don't really like proxies very much. Um, if the card is not a card that you own. But I do think it's probably fine to proxy cards that you own at least a copy of because theoretically you could just swap the card out of a deck into right. another deck 
kind of the magic online way of like, doing things. I, I used to do that with uh, some of my cards and actually my very valuable deck with those valuable cards in it. I am actually not comfortable bringing that to game stores and stuff yeah because i don't want people handling my valuable cards that i don't trust and also it can be damaging to switch them out of the deck and put in another deck too right so i would just as well use a proxy to as a way protect that valuable yeah. collectible so that those are the two arguments we're gonna have um i would you like me to start eli or would you like to start uh you, you go ahead and start it off okay so um i think that for the most part um, for me, and I don't know if I should, I should, I don't know if I should like, um, put this on other people, but for me, I don't like the idea of being allowed to play every card in Magic. I think that the, um, restriction of playing cards that you own breeds, uh, more creativity for myself and also, um, stop, it prevents me from what I think would tend to be the commander arms race. I think when you start introducing proxies of everything, cards that you don't own, the the, the classic arms race of power kind of uh, will naturally happen more. And I know there's the, the idea of, um, you know, proxy decks are fine, you know, just match the power level. But I think that, you know, like that arms race idea will happen inevitably in a playgroup if it'll, it'll inevitably reach up higher until the players take a step back and be like, hey, whoa, we gotta chill. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Another just to give another point real quick before I let you speak. Um, I think that if I, for me, because I know I'm a person who's kind of, if I were to allow myself to start proxying cards I don't own, I don't know how I could justify not just like proxying every expensive card that I wanted to play in a deck. And I don't, and I think that maybe cheapens it a little bit. That I'm not saying for other people. I'm not saying that you playing proxies cheapens the game. I'm saying this is how it makes me feel personally. So that's why I avoid proxies of cards I don't own. And and just one more thing, sorry. It's it's a little bit uh, hypocritical too because right now I do have um, a deck where I have I have card I have proxies of cards I don't own. Um, but I think I use those for the purpose of maybe playtesting. I don't have intentions to keep that deck. I'm going to take it apart. Um, before you buy it, maybe. May I ask what, what deck that is? I can't recall. This is, I have a deck, uh, Morph, my Morph Control, Kadena the Slipping oh, Sorcerer, yeah, okay. and I and I proxied, like, um, a bunch of the one-mana dorks that I don't own because I wanted to try them out versus right. other forms of mana. Um, and I, in the past, I had proxied kind of a budget, uh, Crick CEDH-ish deck, and I had cards proxied I didn't own, like, Aetherflux Reservoir, Reign of Filth, grave crawler stuff like that because yeah. i wanted to try to solitary that for myself i think that's all acceptable mm-hmm. but i i'm gonna I'm, i've been talking too much give me your right, uh, so, your person, so before your i respond i just want to clarify again uh this isn't necessarily my actual opinion i i think i uh mostly agree with spencer on this i'm if you've listened to this show long enough i i think it's i'm just too much of a usually an agreeable person with, <laughs> with a lot, i don't like a lot of conflict and uh I'm very open to a lot of perspectives, but that's why I thought this would be fun to to try and play kind of devil's advocate, but uh, from a position of of good faith and and represent these concerns uh, in a in, you know in a way that's not in a generous yeah, way, yeah, in a genuine way, maybe you'd say, yeah. All right, go ahead. So, uh, so your point though about like creativity uh, isn't restricting the cards people can play with; 
isn't that in a way cutting down on people's creativity? I suppose so. And uh, as far as the arms race thing, that feels to me like a like a different discussion. That's not necessarily a result. I, I can see how the proxy thing might might lead to that, mm-hmm. and I, I can see that concern. But that feels like an entirely separate conversation. Yeah. That and that's also just as likely to happen with uh, real magic cards. I think. Sure. Because people just. We've, we've been in that position, you know, where somebody just starts buying and spending more in Magic, and it's kind of a competition to who has more disposable income <laughs> mm-hmm. for Magic. But yeah, um, so, yeah, saying that, uh, like, we uh, we pin this down as the, the spirit of the format, mm-hmm. creativity. And so, so, like you were saying, restrictions can breed creativity, and I, I agree with that, but at the same time, there's a lot of Magic cards, and some just aren't very accessible. So people should be able to play with whatever they'd like. Sure, like your your Wheel of Fortune you were saying. Like, people want to play Wheel of Fortune, so, you know, who's to say they shouldn't, right? It's not, I think it's like it's yeah. it's like $800 or $500. It's a lot. Oh my god. 300 whatever it is. It's it's several hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Um, but if you'd allow me to maybe try to rebuttal that. Absolutely. Um, I think there is something to be said about playing, about playing replacements for these expensive cards can be fun and enjoyable and if we're always only playing the most expensive best versions of cards maybe we're restricting ourselves from more cards that we could be enjoying playing with right that is a very good point that's actually uh i find myself doing that a lot ever since uh we started proxying copies of cards yeah i do me too actually like yeah i'm i'm a big land tax gamer and i just thought you know this should be in every white deck yeah, I, I, I think it's I think maybe it's better to avoid doing that all the time because, um, for example, I have a Ristic Study um, that I own, but I don't play that in all of my blue decks. And you could make a very good argument that I should, but I think maybe building decks specifically keeping out some of your powerful staples might be a might be a good idea. Right, I I definitely agree with that. I, I like playing with more different cards. I think we talked about. On one episode, the the professor talking about how certain staple cards are removing deck slots from your deck. Oh yeah, a long time ago. With the... And so that is, in a way, cutting down on your creativity. He said, uh, the Soul Ring, Command Tower, yeah. Homeward Path, yeah. Commander Sphere. <laughs> this, this was a different time. This was a yeah. five, four or five years ago video. Right, this was uh, the In Response video with uh, jo- Josh, Josh versus the professor. Yeah. And that's what we're doing right now. It's In Response. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um... But yeah, I, if I could just say one thing as well. Um, this is a little bit interesting. So I have a... Now, and the funny thing is I'm being hypocritical here because I have cards that I have proxied in decks that are bad proxies. I'm sure everyone knows what I mean when I say a bad proxy. Like a piece of paper with the card written on it or something. I think that if you are proxying cards in decks and intending to have them as long-term proxies, so like... Like, you know, proxying another card that you own or even a card you don't own and you're not, like, planning on getting a copy or something or replacing the proxy, you probably have some sort of responsibility to make it look like a magic card or at least make it look colored, not make it black and white so you can, so people playing the game with you don't have a hard time understanding your stuff. Ah, but Spencer, yeah, I'm full debate mode now. (laughs) Okay. Couldn't you say, uh, if, if the argument is, 
they should be representative of the card as to accurately represent the game yeah. functionally. Could you not say the same thing about foreign cards? No, because they look like magic cards. That's true. <laughs> no, you can but... at least like look up. Well, well, the, my problem is here. Here, here you go. So, if let's say like worst case scenario, you have a black and white um, like printed card, or like you drew it or something. At least take a colored pencil and shade the background of it blue, so I know it's a blue card. Please, like at the very least. You think if I don't have the money for magic cards, I have the money for colored pencils? <laughs> That's a good point. Well. Is is it is it too bad of a thing to say that magic players probably have access to color pencils? Spencer Cook up in his ivory tower. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm ruining the integrity of the discussion. No, um, but the, yeah, like I was saying earlier, like I have a I have a proxy. I, I own a Crucible of Worlds, and I play that in my modern deck. Um, don't ask what the modern deck is because you're like, why would you play modern deck? Why would you play Crucible of Worlds? Well, screw you. Don't you can look it up on my tapped out or something. Mm-hmm. But I've got a copy of Crucible World that's in my Anji deck. And I, I didn't, I don't have like a good proxy Crucible Worlds, and I haven't been bothered to print a good one. So I literally have a three six Avatar token from uh, X Exodus or whatever, not Exodus, whatever that card is. So it's literally just that card, and that's Crucible Worlds in my deck. And, and so you, I'm a super hypocrite. Can right you now. believe this, people? The hypocrisy. This is the trial of Spencer Cook now. Now you get to discount everything I say, and you won the debate, right? <laughs> that's how this goes. You've shown you've shown that I'm a bad faith uh, debater. No. Um, Did you want to go into uh, another point or, or pass no, it can, off to me? Well, you can go ahead. I'm, uh, you got it. So, uh, uh, one one thing I had written down here is, uh, you know, new like we discussed uh, on the uh, accessibility of Commander, new players just might not have enough of a collection to make an effective deck, and might have to fill in most of the deck, if not a lot of or parts of the deck with proxies yeah to play an effective game and feel like they're feel like they're competing so are you saying like 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 um it can be very difficult to match power level without proxies for a new player yeah i think that's uh like we said a pre-con can kind of hang you around but i think there are some people who might get into commander and their immediate friend group or the people who are teaching the commander i think it is more common and common that uh that people play pretty strong commander decks i know yeah i that's my experience at least it seems that people are are getting moving away from pre-con level as the general play group level right For yeah sure. um yeah i can concede that point um well something interesting that i want to bring up is that i think players put too much emphasis on the proxy debate as part of their personality um, and what I mean by that is players, at least, at least on Twitter, we've been seeing some stuff, and players seem to get very upset over someone else having a different proxy opinion than them. Um, and I, I, it, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, so I'm like, like Eli, you and I, like, going out of the debate mode for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I aren't big fans of proxies of cards we don't own. But that being said, or and like we're pretty outspoken about that, right? Like we will like. I'll I'll tell someone like, hey, I'd rather you didn't use proxies or something, whatever, right? That being said, I play with a very good friend of mine. He doesn't have he doesn't really own any magic cards. He plays with entire proxy decks, and we have a great time, and I don't give him shit for that or anything. I've got another friend that I play with that, you know, has a lot of expensive cards, recently sold a bunch of them and, and you know, proxied a bunch of them. Another friend that has just, you know, one uh, gold border card, force ability he doesn't own, but we still play with him and stuff, and it's not that big of a deal. So, I think players put too much emphasis on the proxy debate when they really just 
You know, it's not. It doesn't matter that much. I think both sides of the debate. Ultimately, everyone is. We just want to play the game. Yeah, I think that. At least in Commander, like Commander players. Yeah, we just want to play the game. You know, other people might have different different areas where they uh, they they put a lot of their investment in Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was actually another point uh, on on my list of things was like you were saying about our friend that doesn't really he doesn't have any Magic cards. It's because he's just not very invested in Magic. He, Some people just really don't care yeah, that much about. I magic. mean, like, like, like he he likes Magic and he plays cards and he knows a, a pretty good amount about the game, but like he just doesn't he doesn't want to get into investing money into it. Right? That's all. Yeah. Say if I want to play Commander with my friends, maybe once every two months, mm-hmm. should I have to spend a hundred dollars to do that? Or you know, for every maybe you want to have like four decks to play or something, right? Mm-hmm. maybe there's a yeah i mean that's a good that's a good point um maybe maybe there's a better argument for well there's a there's a concept of um how far away is a deck from from you so like if you're like a a new commander player with zero cards the jump from zero cards to a commander deck feels very large so it can be very it can be a lot more accessible to print a deck but if you're like a middle enfranchised player and you like can build a deck um or maybe improve a deck, but like your the cards that you might proxy might be like the very expensive like mana crypt or like for, for forcible or stuff like that. It, it, I think it's a different kind of jump where it it just it, it could feel a little bit more nefarious, maybe you know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. there's there's this there's this thing for proxies where it feels like when people are proxying, they can be getting taking advantage of you or like taking advantage of your lack of funds or your your I want to say pride to not proxy or something, right? And that can feel bad for players that don't proxy. Um, So I think it's... I mean, ultimately, I would just advise people to um, not take it so personally when someone has a stance on proxying. So, like, don't shit on me for not liking to proxy cards I don't own, and I won't shit on you for liking to proxy cards. I'll let you know my opinion, but we don't need to... We don't need to get each other's throats. Yeah, it's a, it's mostly a personal preference, I think, like you said. Yeah. It's not like we're going to tell somebody that they shouldn't play with their proxy deck. Mm-hmm. It's just, I it's might, not that big of a deal. I might not be super happy about them proxying the deck, but that is, that's not going to stop us from having a good time playing with each other. And, and like I was saying earlier, I, I think it is along. It, it is kind of a different discussion, too, of if you have somebody who's proxying every most expensive most powerful card in the format and making a whole deck out of that that's a really different thing than like you said our friend who has decks that are entirely proxy those decks are not super high power decks they're like normal normal commander commander decks decks. like kind of like even like old school commander decks and we have a lot of fun playing and they're very balanced games i think you know i think i think when he was building his decks he he had he he tried to stick with like a hundred dollar budget and I think I was talking to him, and I was trying to convince him to play a couple more expensive cards, honestly. Like, hey, you just put a Dockside in there. It's a pirate deck, you know? And that's and I, I think we did convince him, so I think that's, I, I that's think my he, fault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did end up playing the, the Dockside, and, and even Hole Breacher. Was that your fault, too? It's a pirate! You son of a bitch! He'll fucking kill you! <laughs> Well, it's okay. It got it got it got banned, and I and I made a nice uh, drawing proxy to replace it for him. Do you remember what card I put in? Oh, I, I put in a Ragavan. That's Ragavan. what it was. <laughs> I proxied him a Ragavan to replace it. Yeah, with the uh, the monkey. I drew it. The, the smiling monkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh god, it looks so crazy. It looks so bad. Maybe I can find a picture of it yeah, and send I it. Post that and on the, post it. The I'll ask video. him for a photo. Um, okay, well, what, what do you have anything more you want to talk about the debate thing? Yeah, so uh, we touched on this a little bit with talking about the like the professor's stance on proxies or uh, on reprints more so uh, that magic cards are just game pieces, so they should be accessible. For people to use as many as they need. So, for example, like you know, like if you lose your, if you lose like the the the, the white queen in like a chess game, it, the game should function the same if you replace that with a stick of celery or something, right? Right. That's a bit of a weird analogy, but I think it, it <laughs> sure it, it holds true. Um, man, that was a, not a not a great analogy. I feel I feel like I've derailed the whole it, conversation. It, it works. No, it's fine. Um. So I guess you're saying in the same way, you know, it, ultimately it's just a game and the pieces shouldn't really be cost prohibitive, right? Like, it doesn't seem like it makes a difference in the game, right? Yeah, and it's it's the, uh, we, we brought this up at the uh, the intro to this, but the idea of, of gatekeeping people of lower socioeconomic status out of the game of Magic and Commander specifically. Um, I don't think we want to do that personally. Yeah, because it's it's weird. You, you you want to think I don't like the idea of proxies, but I also don't like the idea of people not, not being, being able to play the game if they want to play it. Because we love the game, right? And I, of course, I want people to to play. But make is there a cons like we were talking earlier about? Is EDH accessible? Do you think it's fair to say that EDH isn't for everyone, or do you think that's just not fair at all? I don't know. There was a big. Discussion I think backlash this, right? when somebody from Wizards, there was maybe a, a premium product like a master mm, set. This isn't for you, and right? And it was That's said, what it this was? is not for mm. certain players. And people took that very harshly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I see anything inherently wrong with that, though. Sure. For certain things. Not, say, playing a basic game of Commander. The, the, the price... The the prohibition or like the <laughs> I know what you mean the the oh god what's the, the word prohibitiveness yeah there you go is a baseline like we said for a precon uh 30, what is the 40? 30, 40 bucks yeah up to fifty maybe with sales tax uh so that's what can get you in get you playing with one deck so in that sense it feels like magic can pretty much be for anyone and if you cannot afford thirty dollars or forty dollars. There are people that will, if, if that is honestly the case, there are people that will make you decks and send them to you. I'm I'm being genuine here. Yeah, the magic players are are very generous. That's and, the uh, weird thing is that we there's there's like two types, not two types. Of magic. magic players are some there. It's a uh, freaking just Schrodinger's like magic player where they're where they seem to all the time be mad at everybody, but also like some of the nicest people in the world. I don't know how it's they're both things. Yeah, I will talk a lot of shit about magic players and I make some very um negative attributions about magic players as a general populace, but then at the same time a lot of my favorite people and very best friends are people who I met through magic. So it's very it's I don't know how it's to feel. It's jarring, right? It's you know, they might be like they might be one in a hundred, but they're they're just some of the best people. Yeah, and, and we when we talk about like how bad magic players are, we're kind of joking, you know. There's a bit, yeah. of, there's a little bit of truth to it, but we're not, 
we're not honestly it, saying it is an unfair prejudice that I'm willing to admit. It's it's just me me versus nerds in general and a lot of aspects of nerd culture. But it's something uh, it's something to be aware of. Yeah. It's how you fight prejudice is you you yeah. acknowledge it. Uh, but yeah, we ain't we ain't we ain't no uh what what was the we ain't no jocks. What's the tab- we ain't no tabletop jocks here. <laughs> Sorry. That was a bad reference. But yeah, I think it's uh like we said Magic players want to have more people to play Magic with. So if there's a very heavily invested Commander player, they oftentimes... You know, Magic players, we end up with a lot of bulk shit that we don't want. Yeah. And you can make a Commander deck out of that. Yeah, no. Somewhat decent deck, too. Like, brown pre-con, like, maybe better than a pre-con, just out of bulk that you're not... You can't sell or trade. Or maybe even things you're not playing other decks. Honestly, you know, here's... Interestingly enough, um... I, I've, in my history of playing, I mean, I'm, I'm decently in franchise. I've got a lot of cards, right? And have some expensive decks and stuff, but I've been a very price conscious person my whole life. I'm not a guy who's very quick to shell out big bucks for a commander deck, um, with notable exceptions. So in my history of playing magic, I was the kind of guy who's like, make what I can with what I have. And maybe some, every once in a while you'll buy a box of magic cards or you'll buy a, some singles or whatever. But I'm I'm very much a cards I own deck person. And I still do that to this day. Granted, I have more cards, but like I will literally like make I'll find a commander and I'll if I'm just want to, I'll be like, this is I'll call this, this is a Liesa cards I own deck. And mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of freeing, and maybe more magic players should try it. Mm-hmm. So, you don't always have to. Well, hold on. Well, let's 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 get into our 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 tips for. Uh... Yeah, we got some personal, and some of these might come across as a little obvious, but uh, personal financial tips and tricks for playing Magic: The Gathering. Yeah, that we have used in the past, and uh, and and I personally have a uh, long history of. Uh, gaining the the system a little bit i used to i got in uh in, in a middle school and high school i didn't have a job and i needed a way to make money so i would occasionally uh, like swindle some some cards out of some friends maybe and uh go and sell them just get a get a good deal you know what i'm saying i would sell my own cards pretty often if they were worth anything i sold a foil Blightsteel colossus for around two dollars no <laughs> life is pain yeah um, sold so many fetch lands because I was like, "Why are these cards even worth anything? They they li- they're literally a land. It gets you a basic land and it deals one damage to you. Garbage." And we're talking Zendikar fetches. Yeah, we ain't talking no. I guess those aren't expensive these days, but four years ago Zendikar oh, fetches yeah. were expensive. Mm-hmm. But now they're back down to being the cheaper ones. So whatever. But but not saying you should do that. You should not swindle people out of valuable cards, and you shouldn't sell your own good cards for way less than you ought to get. <laughs> but you can do a lot of trading. Yeah. So the first thing I want to talk about is if you have an established collection, and, and this might seem uh, exclusionary because people who are newer to the game can't Don't really have a collection. rely on this tip, but but you can trade with people, and you can get what you need. Yeah. Um, you don't have to... I mean... It, it, there's something to be said about being a jack-of-all-trades player. Like, you want to play a lot of different kinds of magic. You want to experience all the colors and decks. But 
you know, for example, you, Eli, you're a Boros boy. You play a lot of Boros. So, you know, you maybe don't need a bunch of mana drains. I think you, I think you had mana drains. You traded them away, right? I've traded and sold two mana drains. Yeah, and you can get some Boros cards with those, you know? Yeah, I've sold a lot of valuable green cards because I, I play green less than, I think, every color, honestly. I think I play more blue than green, Yeah, surprisingly enough. And, and I, you sometimes do play those colors, but, you know, you don't need um, multiple copies of uh, maybe colors you don't play as much or cards you don't think you'd play. So, for example, um, if a new player opened up a Mana Crypt, um, I don't know if I would advise them to keep it because they're going to want it at some point or sell it because they'll be perfectly happy without owning a Mana Crypt. I'm not sure where I would go with that. that that's a good point about um, card quality versus quantity. If you have 50 bucks to spend on Magic cards, don't buy a sing. Don't buy one card. Don't, don't buy a doubling season. That's uh, a lot of other shows have made this point, like, like Command Zone. If, if you have that for like their budget upgrade series... You want to affect the most percentage of your deck that you can. Mm, yeah. So don't don't buy cards for over twenty bucks unless it's something you really have always wanted or you think is really going to push it over the edge or you're trying to upgrade at that little extra percentage and it's already a really good deck. And on that same level, um, probably the worst way you can allocate money to make a deck better is the mana base. Um, because once you start getting into the expensive mana base cards, you're making very small improvements to the deck for large amounts of money. So stuff like shock lands, fetch lands, dual lands, probably the worst way you can spend money if you want to improve your deck for, yeah. for the for the amount of money you're spending. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can do perfectly fine with, with budget mana bases. I'm not saying play guild gates, but you know, there's plenty of reasonably expensive, you know, $1 dual lands that come in untapped sometimes and stuff like that. They're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't, can I, can I jump into a, uh, a tip? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I was saying earlier, um, be- when I was transitioning to this topic, you know, you don't need to play every powerful card. Sometimes it's okay to just, you know, not play <laughs> the best version of every card in existence. Like, and that's, and by choice, you don't have to, like, like, for example, I've got a Le- my Liesa deck that I said was a cards I own deck. Um, I own, like, cards like Reanimate and Swords of Plowshares, and I ch- chose to not put them in that deck, not because I wanted to um, make it weaker, but because I wanted some variety. Well, I guess I did want to make it a little weaker, too, but I wanted to play some different kinds of uh, removal and reanimation, maybe more expensive or more... So, like, I play, um, what's the flashback reanimation spell? Um, Unbarrel Rights. Unbarrel Rights, yeah. yeah I, wanted to, I wanted to play that card, so... And, and I think if you're... If you're not able to maybe shill out ten or twenty dollars for reanimate, um, you know you could force yourself into maybe trying new cheaper things, and maybe you find that you enjoy it. Yeah, maybe it's kind of a, a retrain your brain sort of thing to instead of seeing your your lack of cards as a misfortune, see it as an opportunity. Yeah, to maybe even um, I know one thing Magic players love is they love to be clever, and it's not it's not a bad thing to think you're clever. And if you are cost prohibitive, um, you're, or you're, you're prohibited, sorry, um, I think you can find new and unique ways to do things with uh, cards that are cheaper. I know everyone loves like, oh, this is my budget card, of the, you know, this is my cool budget card I love. And then you get to be like, guys, guys, this card is so underplayed. Criminally underplayed. EDH takes episode whatever number. Yeah, underplayed <laughs> cards. Epic. Um, okay, well, what do you got for me, Eli? What's another 
financial tip and trick. So this is, a, I think, another one that the command zone might have talked about in the past, but it's something that I try and do now, and uh, I think you do too. But if you're buying a cheap card, say it's around a dollar or less, and you've got, you've got a little extra change in your pocket, maybe pick up a second copy. Yeah, if you if... like the card, stands to reason somebody else might too. Or maybe you want another copy of it, right? Yeah, later down the line. Yeah, for um, future you. Even like random, even like sometimes when sets comes out, I'll buy like two or three or four copies of an uncommon that I like that's like 20 cents or something. Just like, what's the difference between 25 cents and a dollar, right? For having four copies of an uncommon that I think I might play a couple times. And even if it's not like a, like even if it's not a card that I is like the best card to play, just having the extra copies when I'm looking through my collection, I'd be like, hey, maybe I'll put that in something, right? Yeah, and this isn't like, this is not a specking or an investment tip. It's just a, a convenience sake. Thing. Yeah. So, card that I that I kind of like that I don't think is like particularly powerful is, um, you know, well, I don't know the name of the card, but it's the Fortel Angel that kind of is a mini Sun Titan kind of thing from Kaldheim. Um, and I don't think a card's particularly powerful, but I bought like four copies. And, you know, when I build a white deck, maybe I'll throw it in there and have fun, you know? So even if the card never goes up in value... Worst case scenario, you've saved yourself another trip to the game store or a trip to whatever whatever website you're ordering cards from. Yeah. So, there you go. Okay, well, another um, tip that I've got is to not... So, the, the, the whole... Con- everyone wants... Like I was saying earlier, people like to think that they are very smart and smarter than other people. Don't go too crazy in specking for cards when new sets comes out because... It's really hard to be right on specs. I know it's fun, but generally, or maybe even to go even further, maybe don't buy cards right away when set comes out. Because typically it seems to be the case that generally card prices go down for the first couple of weeks as a set is opened and then Mm -hmm. all of the cards are sold online um, and there's kind of a race to the bottom thing. So pre-order prices generally... Um, unless a card is criminally, you know, undervalued or whatever, generally are higher than what they're going to be later. If you really are super confident that a card is going to go up, I guess you can buy it, but I would caution against it. Yeah, be very purposeful for why you're buying cards, because just specking on cards, if you're not actually planning to flip those cards... It could, it could go really wrong. <laughs> oh man, I've got a I've got a very very short story about that. Like, I'm I'm notorious for not selling or trading my cards ever. So I I specced on Arclight Phoenix when that card came out, and by specced on I mean I opened like a copy and I bought like a playset of just I thought it was kind of a good card and I kind of liked it. Mm. They were like two dollars a piece, so I bought like a playset for like eight bucks. And then that card turned out to be, like, a $30 card because it was, like, making waves in Standard and Modern for, like, several months. Like, four or five months. And I I think I sold or traded one of them away and I had five copies and I still have those five copies. Now the card, I think, is uh, maybe $3 or something because the just the formats changed and stuff. And I never played Modern or whatever with them. I never played them really anything. And I just never got around to selling them. So if you don't realize your gains from your from your investments they're not you know you haven't gained anything i was gonna say uh, i thought i did the same thing with uh skyclave apparition but that's down to around five bucks again really i think i got it for cheaper because it was like close to the set release oh man and it wasn't like a thing yet but i got like three or four of those and uh 
But that's pretty affordable right now. It's a good card. I bought a playset uh, for like $7 or $8 a piece a couple months ago. So I guess I missed out, but I'm not too upset. Um, okay, well, you got any other good tips for us, Eli? Yeah, that just uh, the Skyclave thing reminded me. I, I think I said it earlier in the episode, but just making sure when you buy singles that you know what cards in your deck you're going to take out for that card. So you don't end up buying like a $5 single yeah. and then being like, oh, this is not better than anything <laughs> I have in here and I don't know what to do with it now. Make the cut first before yeah. you buy the card. <laughs> make, make sure you know exactly what cards you're taking out and you have the right amount and you're not overdoing it. And again, if it's really cheap, you might pick up an extra copy and it might not hurt you to have that extra Skyclave Apparition yeah. Reminder. When the card's really cheap or if it's a card you know you're going to play at some point, you can you can pick up the card. That's fine. But if it's like an expensive card or something, or even like just like a medium price card, and you don't you don't know what you're taking out, or even if you're really going to play it or not, I don't know. It's scary. Yeah, especially with changing out one card in your commander deck, especially if you have lots of commander decks. Like I said earlier in the episode of about taking a card out of the deck before you even get to play with it, that is going to happen. Yeah, I think I was just looking through uh, through Twitter before we did this, and. Uh, and uh, Dana Dana Roach from the EDA Trek cast did a thread of his favorite commander cards from 2021 that he has yet to draw in a game. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those cards are kind of cool. Yeah, they are cool, but it's like that, that can just happen. You can get got like that. Yeah. Because the odds that you just out of your hundred card deck, unless you're tutoring for it specifically, yeah. Which a lot of the times you're not because it's rare that these cards are so good that they're the best card that you want to tutor for. Well, and a lot of players have many decks. I know uh what was what was it? Uh uh Jumbo Commander, uh DJ, he's got he had that classic video of showing all 30 of his decks, whatever, one for every color combination or something. Yeah, the chromatic challenge. Yeah. So, you know, if you have that many decks and you put a new card in one of them, well, I don't know how often you're going to play that new deck, right? Yeah, when I get excited about a new card that I put in a deck, I try to play that deck, like, all night. Yeah. And then sometimes you still don't get the card. It happens. You really have to make, like, five to ten changes to see much of a difference. In like, a right away, yeah. yeah. To be confident that you're going to see something different. Sure. Um, okay, uh, I, got a, I got another good one. If you're building a deck that hinges on an expensive card... So, for example, I was thinking, like, if you're playing a deck that needs um, Craterhoof Behemoth or something like that, maybe, you know, don't play that deck. <laughs> and I'm not saying you can't, like, play a, you know the deck you want to play, but maybe you can make adjustments in your deck elsewhere to maybe make it so you don't need the Craterhoof. So, for example, some people will do, like, Tooth and Nail and Craterhoof. Well, if you... Don't want to if you don't want to like spend the fifty dollars for a crater of behemoth. Well, then you also probably don't need a tooth and nail. You don't need to like play tooth and nail and like a worse crater of kind of card. I mean, you could play like an end race four or something, but like maybe try to shift it over to a more affordable finisher. I don't know. That's just an idea. So, what do you think about that, Eli? Yeah, it's definitely like we were talking about earlier. The idea of classic feather versus something like. Well, I suppose even my version of, like, that, like, Blink Feather could be built pretty cheap, but there's definitely some, like, you can't build, or I don't think you can build a very effective, cheap, good stuff deck. Sure. If you're just, like, I want to play all my favorite cards and all the best cards. 
That's not a deck you can make. Well, not cheaply. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some archetypes, or maybe another example is a Super Friends deck. You have, to, if you want to make a Super Friends deck on a budget, you have to make some pretty, you have to make some pretty uh, tough choices. So like making Super Friends decks without doubling season or whatever, right? Or without the good Planeswalkers that cost a lot of money. Oh, that feels it's hard. So weird though, because I wonder if you could make a, a halfway decent Super Friends deck based around the War of the Spark uncommon Planeswalkers. Because I was going to say the biggest knock against Super Friends decks is that you're building around a card type mythic that right? is yeah. mythic and rares. rares. Yeah. But then they've made rares and uncommon since then. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, yeah, I suppose. Um, or maybe a reanimator deck, because with a reanimator deck, you, you kind of need beaters, uh, like big reanimation boys, and the best ones of which are generally pretty expensive, uh, cards, and you need, like, the best reanimation spells cost a lot of money, too, like, reanimates, like, you know, 10, 20 bucks, something like that, so, I mean, there are cheap alternatives, but you're, you're gimping yourself from the start, so maybe try to approach a deck archetype that lends itself better to a budget deck, does that make sense? Yeah, like like say uh, this was uh, one of our most valid or like one of our best uh, criticisms of the, uh, the the first episode, the Boros episode. Say you want to make a very uh, like higher power, like strong Boros deck. Good luck without spending a lot of money. Yeah, it's hard. It's gonna take some cash. Yeah, um, but you know maybe you. I mean, maybe it's not gonna be the best deck, but if you build like um, what's the cycling commander that they made in the precon? Do you remember her name? Gavi. Gavi. I don't think a Gavi deck with, like, all of the cycling cards is going to be very expensive. I don't think there's too many cycling cards that are more than a dollar or two. I can't think yeah, of many. I'm trying to think. I mean, that, that was the deck with, uh... Well... I was going to say, what's the pre-con cost? Because I was going to say, well, you might be able to get it for $50. Not the pre-con, because... But that, it's got def- uh, Fierce Guardianship yeah, Fierce in Guardianship, it. and that's so a that $40 might be, card or something. That precon might be expensive now. But. Yeah, but the the point stands that some archetypes, you know, the bulk of your deck, maybe eighty cards or something, you know, are going to be pretty cheap. So depending on what you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, you got something else for me? Some other tip, Eli? Yeah. So uh, if you want to play with some expensive cards, though, you know, everyone should be able to do it. We don't want to gatekeep yeah. playing expensive cards. You could steal them, not IRL in the game. <laughs> play, oh come on it is always cheaper to uh play the cards that steal your opponent's permanence or effects like such as gonti ways that let you allow you to kind of use these uh expensive game pieces i would say bribery but that one's actually expensive yeah, that's that's more expensive okay, the, the, than the new suspend bribery there you go yeah and so yeah those those cards you can build a whole deck around that theme and i think those decks can be pretty cheap like i have a I thought a Dell deck, and that deck, I think Thought it might be somewhat expensive now. I think she's less than $10, but yeah. But you could build a very cheap version of that deck. Might not, might not necessarily be, but I think aside from a few cards, it, it would be. And that can be a good deck, because it's built around just stealing other people's good cards. You're going to do good things. You're going to steal a Soul Ring. You're going to steal a KCI or something, you know? Whatever, you know? Um, I got a funny story about that Gonti concept, by the way, because I remember... Um, when Gonti came out in Aether Revolt, is that what it's, he's from? Uh, I think Kaladesh. No. Kaladesh, okay, but the, the Kaladesh block, whatever. I play, I remember playing in the Kaladesh pre-release, or it could have been the Aether Revolt pre-release because they had Kaladesh packs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I remember getting a Gonti in my sealed pool. And, you know, the big thing that came out um, with Kaladesh was Kaladesh Inventions. And I remember playing in my second or third game with the pre-release, and I Gontied my opponent, pick up the top couple cards of his deck, and I see, ooh, very pretty uh, Invention uh, Solemn Simulacrum. So I just kind of very gently slide that onto my side of the table, upside down, and, like, treating it very gently. And then, you know, next turn I untap and I go, boom. And I'm like, oh, yes, very, very epic. So... Playing, playing blinged out cards from your opponents, pretty base. That is a thing to keep in mind if you're playing that kind of deck. Be very polite to people's cards. Yeah, do that. Be very careful. Because if you if you damage somebody's expensive card, you are a dickhead. Try to avoid that, please. Um, What else we got here? Uh, if you want to play stuff that's a little bit more budget, you could consider playing online like magic the gathering online because a lot of prohibitive cost cards are cheaper on magic online that is to say some cards are more expensive magic online too but for the general uh generally magic online is cheaper yeah there are rare exceptions like soul ring is more expensive than mana crypt yeah so it's it's a weird meta on magic online where pretty much everyone has a mana crypt and they're actually more likely to have mana crypt than soul ring (laughs) I have a Mana Crypt in my deck. I don't have a Soul Ring because I didn't want to buy it. Because like 10 bucks, and I was like, eh, no. But yeah, like um, a card... Uh, oh god, help me out here, Eli. Two Mana Green Enchantment, draw cards. Oh, Sylvan Library. Sylvan Library yeah. is like 20 mm-hmm. cents on Magic Online. And in paper, it used to be like $100. Now it's like 30 or something because it got reprinted. But All the dual lands are hella cheap. I think uh, Plateau bucks. was sub a dollar when nice. I started. And, and it's cool because Magic Online, I did put a decent amount of money into it. I think all in all, I spent a little under $100, and I got two very effective and strong decks, I would even say. And if you want to go further, you have all those staple cards to put in other decks, too. Yeah, so that's what made it especially easy, is I, obviously, I wanted to make two Boros decks of commanders that I didn't want to build more Boros decks in paper, so I thought, oh, I'll play them on Magic Online. I built a... Tiana Aura's deck, that was a really cheap deck to build because a lot of Auras are just super cheap. Yeah, and I was on able Magic to get Online, yeah. Replenish on Magic Online oh, yeah. for like $5, I think. And that's cool to be able to play with a card like that that I can't afford in paper. And then I had a lot of Boros staples. I tried to build the deck in a way that was pretty... It was it was it had a theme to it, but it also had like a decent amount of staples in it in case I wanted to build another deck. And then I built my Akiri Fearless Voyager deck after that and had a lot of the cards ready to go. Yeah, so there you go. A lot of fun on Magic Online. And it also, you always have people to play with. That's true. That's another issue of, uh, of playing Commander is sometimes you spend a lot of money on a deck and you never get the chance to play it. Yep. And then when you go on your your rare occasion, you get to go and play at the game store, you get extra mad because things don't go how you expected. <laughs> and you feel cheated. Yeah, when you play on Magic Online, if you have a bad game, you know, you didn't ruin, you know, you didn't have to go anywhere for it. You know, you can just kind of... Uh... Yeah, you scoop. You scoop and you leave. No. Yeah, you you mulligan uh, two times and don't draw Mana Crypt or Soaring. You just scoop out of that game. (laughs) Or another game where you do have. All right. um, I think our last thing here is um, the classic uh, pilfer the the draft chaff at your LGS if you have one. Because people will, uh, you know, they'll draft and they'll leave their random commons and uncommons. And there's good cards in there sometimes, honestly. Yeah, I, honestly. I, you get good you found some cool stuff recently, right? Yeah, you find some rares sometimes. You find the playable commons and uncommons that you want to put in your commander decks. like the, And that's a 
you know, a thing that they've been doing recently more. There have been a lot, well, I don't know if it's more, but there have been a lot of pretty solid commander playable commons and uncommons, honestly. Yeah, and the, the hardcore drafters at the store, too, they don't necessarily care about what's good for commander. Yeah. So, and and a lot of people even will, like, th- I'll see people throw packs in the trash. Yeah. And, and luckily, like, I think our game store is kind of discouraged that with their traf- draft chaffed box. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, um, and if you mention that you're a new commander player, a new magic player in general, like we said earlier, people are very generous and they want to have another friend to play commander with. Yeah. So they'll they'll look after you. You might be able to even borrow a deck until you have your own one ready to go and get some ideas for what you like playing with. Sure. Well, I think that's about what we got for the financial tips and tricks. Um, do you wanna do you wanna do more stuff? Or do you wanna call it there, Eli? What are you thinking? I th- I think we got everything pretty much covered, but uh, yeah. So what do you think, Spencer, about the the cost of magic? Is it a uh, is it affordable? Is it accessible? Um, it's expensive. Um, depending on I I think the the one thing that's really cool about magic, especially commander, is you really do have entry points into the format, and you can kind of build up a collection over time. You don't have to spend. 200 300 to start playing magic you can pl- start playing with 30 or 40 bucks and then over time 10 dollars here or there 20 dollars here or there maybe get a you know cool things you like and i like that you can build up stuff that's cool i like that yeah i think it's uh that's what i've always liked about magic is the the trading card game aspect of it is being able to kind of build your own collection through through trading and just like getting new cards and there, there's a lot you can do with it, and, uh, and especially once you do build that collection. I think there's been points where I, I did want new singles from a set, but I didn't feel like spending money on Magic at that time. So I just go through my binder and think, what can I trade into the game store that yeah. I'm not playing with? What 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 cards uh, do I not care about or would not make me upset if I didn't have them anymore? And I know some people might, might cringe at the idea of trading cards in for a trade credit at game store because I know you're kind of getting... You're getting gypped out of some some value and some some equity, but uh, those cards you're sitting con- in your binder—they're not doing you any good. They're converting you to ha- converting it to happiness of your other cards, your new cards you're getting. Yeah, if what you really want to do is play the game, just just do what you can to play the game. It's—I I know people like to think of all the investments. I might talk about like the the Blightsteel Colossus that I traded in for two dollars. I do regret that, but ultimately, you know, like at, at the time, it probably brought you more joy than it was losing. You, you can't live your life in fear of, oh, what if I hadn't done this, or what if I... Just just get the cards you want. Just just play the game. Yeah. Um, within reason. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. Um, do you want to talk about anything, any drama that's been going on or do you think we should call it there? What do you want to do? Oh, like the, uh, the proxy discussion? To, I think stop, we mentioned a little bit. We mentioned, I'll just give a very brief overview, maybe. Um, people, there's been some very heated Twitter discussion recently. I don't know if I'm going to put stuff up on screen or not. I don't know if I want to call out anyone in particular, but pretty much, um, the people have been very, very vocal about other people's characters on Twitter, about, um, different opinions on the proxy debate. And I think the takeaway that I just want to give people is don't take it that seriously, um, don't harass people on Twitter about their um, proxy opinions, and also don't harass people for for quote unquote sending people to harass you on Twitter when uh, that's not really the it's not it's not clear that that's the case. Yeah, uh, just 
don't try to read in so much malice into what people say just because somebody says something maybe a little bit pointed towards one side or the other yeah it doesn't it's not necessarily an attack that's uh one thing that you know we, we joke around a lot eli we we, we make fun of some people because you know we're, we're goof we're goofballs but ultimately you know just ascribe more charity to people give them the benefit of the doubt more often i think the world would be a better place yep yep big twitter thing in general just uh you People are uh, very apt to misinterpret people uh, and be willfully ignorant. Yeah, very frustrating. But uh, hey, man, it's Twitter. What are you going to do, right? Yeah, kind we, of. Uh, we have been tweeting more though on the Twitter. Yeah, so follow I, us on at EDH takes for uh, only only bangers and good discussion. That's all we tweet. And we the should, we should do some more memes. You guys want? Yeah, people I, like memes. I have taken to uh, posting pictures of uh, Jimmy Wong's face every time he's on a new game nights because they yeah, have the, the game nights and extra turns. They have the they have the really zoomed in faces they do, and I just post a picture of Jimmy's face and say something stupid, like me when I uh, don't draw mana crypt on turn one or something dumb like that. I don't know, just some cringe shit. But yeah, so appreciate the uh, any any opinions you guys have on financials proxies whatever you want to talk yeah, about let us know what you think or if you have the the pro gamer strat for hacking the magic system like the, the cost of magic yeah you're uh well i think the actual strat eli is you just walk into wizard's headquarters and just take the sheets off of the printing line right then you have then you just have the cards Who's going to stop you, Mark Rosewater? I think the actual strat is you try to buy um, the first, uh, what was it, the Collector's Edition Boosters box, or whatever it was, and then they cancel your order, and then to apologize, they send you a foil sheet of magic cards, and then you cut those up, and then you have the magic cards for free. That's the strat. Yeah. This this is a this is a lore thing that happened uh, at the start of 2020. Or it was in 2020? It was in 2020, wasn't it? Happened a couple times. Yeah, so if you don't know about that, don't worry about it. It's not important. If you, do, if you know, you know, okay? If you're, in, if you're in the know and you got one of those sheets, I got one. Maybe I'll put a picture in it. So, And I, well, it's been in my closet for a year. Well, yeah. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure to subscribe to our channel. Give us a like. Give us a... Or does dislike uh, got disabled on So you YouTube, can still dislike, but you can't see the dislikes. Oh, what the so, But you can still dislike if you want yeah. to. But comments definitely too. Um, and yeah, if you're not subscribed, uh, we we really appreciate that. I like seeing the little, little number tick up. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we're milestones. We're gonna be doing a tier list video in like a week, so probably uh, we're getting back into it. I know everyone loves those more than they love the podcast. I'm just kidding. But yeah, I've been I've been Elijah Samuelson, and I'm Spencer Cook, and I want to leave you guys with one more piece. Of the ultimately the best thing you can do as far as saving money in magic. <laughs> Sell your collection, quit the game. <laughs> Bye, everybody. It. Bye.